And Terry says it's so, so therefore it is really so. So here we go. March the 31st, 2019, lecture discussion number 58, I hope. Who knows for sure? I never keep track. On the book of Joel. And the plan for us today, uh-oh, we have, we have a loose child. <laughs> Just duck down and hide. Good job, Sadie. <laughs> the plan for us today is the same as always, Pinky. Uh, before we return to the muck and the mire, and when I say muck and mire, I don't mean I'm referring to the pace of our progress, not to the subject matter. So don't write me. Anyway, uh, a sort of diversion came by way of the Internet, which they always seem to do. And I kind of like them doing that. And it makes uh, for interesting Analysis, it's always good to understand what is what the thinking is out there and being in Alaska where it's beautiful and sunny and extremely warm, which means 48 degrees here. For those of you who think about visiting. Uh, But I thought this one is of interest, especially considering our fixation on the aspects of timelessness and time restriction. When I say our fixation, I mean me and Dana. So, in other words, void zero as opposed to void one. Uh, Void one is used incorrectly. It's normally used uh, scientifically as um, vacuum space when it is in fact non-vacuum space. So, in other words, you have two positions. One that there is such a thing as vacuum space and one that, that there is not vacuum space. I have the not vacuum space position, which means that void one is non-vacuum space. And I have that position because of electromagnetic radiation. Did anybody follow that at all? If so, see me later. I have written down the name of a therapist for you here. So you can take care of that problem. So, okay, where was I? That's right. Internet. I'm going to put this on the board. Here's the question. What, and I'm writing it out for obvious reasons to be revealed. Uh, What about the... Countless people. I'm going to put peoples just for fun. Who existed before Jesus's time? Did they also get a one-way ticket to hell? Well, that's the question. Let me repeat it. What about the countless people who existed before Jesus' time? Did they also get a one-way ticket to hell? Now, this is reasonably representative of the majority of atheistic reasoning. By that, I mean most who deny the existence of the Creator God. um, They will. This is. They consider these kinds of questions to be impregnable. 
They don't think the Christian apologists are, they think Christian apologists are unable to subdue this, the dragon of the premise presented here. So they are really convinced of that and absolutely assured. And to, to, to be fair about it, this is actually high school level thought, ninth grade or so, which means that it passes for postdoctoral thinking now in all Ivy League institutions. Berkeley and Stanford included. Any and all of the colleges where rich people now can purchase their children's admission and their SAT scores, their athletic resumes. I have known this was happening for years. Everybody gets straight A's in these schools. I mean, if you're going to pay 500000 for your kid to go to the school, as some of them do, then you're going, to get, you're going to get your money's worth, and that's going to be straight A's. Great inflation is the norm in the colleges nowadays. It is a business. It's only a, straight A's is only a matter of money and negotiating skills. And what, what should we expect with schools that routine, routinely award GPAs that, are, that exceed 4.0? That's mathematically ignorant. Uh, it's akin to 110%. With this universal dispensing of snacks and trophies has come with a steep cost. And you all, we all know it. We all know the kids coming out of our public high schools, and frankly, all of our high schools. I, I think there's really not a whole lot of difference anymore. I recognize that private schools get the better students, so therefore they get higher test scores. I taught at, at public school more than I did private school. And in the public schools, um, you did not get the level of student that you get in the private schools. It's certainly easier in the private school. But the point is, it's commonly, common knowledge that the United States is at the bottom in student comprehension of math and science. We, of, all, of the industrialized nations, we are at the bottom, are in the very bottom, the last two or three. But we are first in self-assurance, as you know, and self-absorption. And, and uh, in other words, our students are consistently mistaken, but always certain. I saw this a while back, seldom right, but never in doubt. Our public education system has created a generation of overconfident, incurious underachievers. And it's going to get worse. That is exactly what the Bible prophesies, which is ultimately our subject today. It becomes really difficult to notice complexities when you stare into mirrors. And here's my quote of the day from me. Phones are the new mirrors. You want to be dumb nowadays, get a phone and stare at it for 12 hours. You're going to be an idiot. It's just a matter of time. And the people that made those phones know it. They made them explicitly to make you an idiot. Look it up. I'm going to die very, very smart because I have no phone. People have tried to give me phones. I lose them accidentally. 
I just don't have any interest in staring at a phone for days on end. I just don't. I don't know what's wrong with me. (sighs) Go ahead, write me and tell me what you think of it. Okay, I'm digressed, but uh, it fits in. You'll see why. Let's take a closer look at this supposed impervious offering from the the evolutionary philosopher who authored it. Some of the words are of particular interest to me. Um, You could probably guess which ones, but what about the countless people? That's interesting to me. Who existed, I like that, before Time, I oh, you know I'm going to like time, but I also like this one-way ticket to hell. Kind of looks, sounds like a punk rock anthem there, and if not, I'll copyright it. But I especially like the time component, as you might have expected. Obviously, the writer is, as usual, purposely inferring that the God of Scripture is unfair, unjust, just and therefore evil because he is giving countless people who and the implication is is they are innocent he's putting countless peoples into this one way ticket to hell hell is a one way ticket that's not fair none of this is fair do you see that it's just absolutely marinated in an accusation that god is evil And the writer also, as per usual, has no idea that Jesus Christ, he doesn't have any idea who Jesus Christ is. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. And the number one reason is the churches don't say Jesus Christ anymore. You've heard me say this a lot. They say God. And they make a distinction between Christ and God as if there is a difference. And they do that on purpose. So the writer doesn't have any idea that Jesus Christ is the God of creation. He's the God of Scripture. No idea. He's the creator of all things. And to be fair, hardly any academic atheist knows this. If he's an academic, I doubt that he is. Again, he probably is a professor at an Ivy League school. But nonetheless, this is ninth grade logic. Barely. It's never taught in the secular schools the deity of Christ. And so the atheists, the evolutionists, they never hear it. And neither group listens to me. There's a surprise. huh? It's also rarely taught in churches, as I mentioned. So there, there is no place to find it anymore. As the Bible, Revelation 3.16 says, will happen at the end of the age of the Gentiles, which began 586 B.C. So my point is, is to be kind. It's appropriate to award grace to this lack of understanding. The deity of Christ is a mystery to the evolutionists, and we can have no expectation that they would understand otherwise. So, let's take another run at this now. Right out of the gate, the flaws of the premises, or the premise, are evident. There is nothing before Christ. You cannot have a before Christ. So, this is invalidated. There is nothing before Christ. Jesus Christ is is the one who installed and created time. He is the beginning, the first, and all things descend from him. So this is an illogical uh, premise that has no understanding of the person that you're discussing. I get similar questions all the time about this, and much, many of them are like this. How much time passed before God created the heavens and the earth? 
Let me rephrase that. Let me ask the question, adjust it a bit. How much time passed before God created time? When you just put it that way, it becomes immediately illogical, right? Hope so. Let's, let's, same question. Who existed before Jesus' time? Jesus Christ does not have a time. All of time consists in him. He possesses all of time. So to assign time and Jesus uh, subsequently is, again, there is no before and there, he has no time in the sense that we have time. Time is inside of him. And this question, though, has this little extra little word, which transforms it, which makes it fantastic in my view. I'm really excited about it. You can tell. Um, It's transformed, but it's transformed completely unbeknownst to its oblivious author. He has put existence in here. And that makes his question fantastic. Yes, ma'am. Yes, but he says that all things are, consist in him, including time. It's part of the created order. So everything, he is infinite, so everything has to be inside of him. Uh, and that, of course, again, is not anything that anyone teaches. Um, uh, literally, it's almost impossible to find it. I don't really know why. Um, I've wrestled with it for years. It doesn't seem that hard to me. But I know it's extremely rare. Again, existence changes everything about this. Well, let me give you a different frame of the same question. Who had existence before Jesus' existence? You can recognize, okay, wait a minute. That question doesn't sound like it, uh, it's proper, and it is not. And this rephrasing begins to expose the problem with the statement in the question. I, at least I hope it does. But we got many miles to go here in order to get into this fully. And hopefully all of you are realizing that where are we going in the Bible right now? Where am I? What part of the Bible talks about this question? And that's right, Genesis 3. That is where Satan brings up the question of existence and the evil of God and the fairness of God and all of these, the tree of knowledge and evil, you surely death. All of that is Genesis 3. This question is a Genesis 3 question. Again, the author has no idea that that's what it is. <coughs> Excuse me. And I've been very subtle, haven't I? Because I love Genesis 3 and all questions about it. To begin with, it's very difficult at best to use time-restricted words and phrases when the subject is the creator of all things and the creator of time. So when you find yourself putting questions about Jesus and time together, know that you are all of a sudden on the thinnest ice possible. And the chances that you're going to break through and drown, very likely. So you tread carefully. You get big, wide feet. When the subject is the creator, the timeless one, the only one who's the first and the last, when the subject is Jesus Christ, timelessness, 
and, and how he is, in fact, the only one that is timeless. He's in the Godhead. We're in triunity, sameness. Jesus Christ is the only one that is timeless is an appropriate statement. I'm not leaving out the, the Spirit or the Father. I have the triune God in my mind when I say the word Jesus Christ. He's the I am. He is the timeless one. Anything, anything that I try to make, I try to apply time to him, that's, I'm going to have problems. I'm going to have problematic situations. Just like existence, I will have trouble when I talk about existence and Jesus. So let, let's try it this way. Let's see if I can help get this a little clearer. When does our existence end? Okay, what's the obvious reciprocal of that or the inverse of it or maybe even just a different way of saying it? When does our existence begin? Where does existence come from? All of those are the same questions. All of those are Genesis 3. And that, when does our existence end? When does our existence begin? Those are intentionally poorly worded questions for the express purpose of injecting chaos into the discussion. Uh, I know they're poorly worded. I want you to know they're poorly worded. Okay, maybe not chaos, just angst and confusedness or disquiet maybe. But where are we now? When I ask you, when does your existence begin and when does your existence end, where am I in the Bible? Go ahead, yell it out, get an A. That's right. They all let the record show that everybody here at Cliffside, for you in the Internet audience, probably didn't hear them, but they all yelled out Jeremiah 1 and 5. Fantastic. I'm so proud of everybody. <laughs> uh, let me read it. I'll start in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. What does that mean? The words of God, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You. Who is you? You are you. How do I know you are you? How do I know that you know that you're you? I know that you are you and that you know that you're you. How do I know that? I know it by inference because I am me and I know that I am me. It's called self-awareness. You also hear it called qualia. In philosophical circles, I knew you before I formed you. So here comes the most obvious of the most obvious questions. When does God know us? Notice the present tense of the question. I did that on purpose, being that he is the I am, the timeless one. And like the last one, it's an intentionally misworded question. When does God know us? Jeremiah is inside of time, as are we, as are the angels, as are the animals, all living beings. It's logical to use before and when in statements that per pertain to us and angels and animals. Not so with God. You can do it, but once again, don't take a step. The ice is about an eighth of an inch. Down you go. There is a before us. There is not a before Christ. 
There is not a before God. However, there is a birth of Christ, isn't there? And do we know the time of the birth of Christ? Is the birth of Christ Christ? Does that make any sense? Or is there Christ before the birth of Christ? I used before with Christ. I should look around. There is a time of Christ's redemptive work. I'm in the incarnate and pre-incarnate Christ discussion that we had last week, I think. But I'm not able to get to it today's lecture. Maybe soon. Ha. Back to when did we exist? Again, intentionally poorly worded question. Is there no end to the intentionally poorly worded bad questions? No. Are you kidding? But I, 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 at least you know, I hope you now know the truth. There are bad questions. I've just asked you ten of them, almost six at least. I should go back and count. There's a long-held belief uh, that there are no bad questions. That's demonstrably false. The transferring element from good to bad is intent, intentionality. I am willfully constructing bad questions to my delight. Anyway, time does not apply to the existence of God or to the omniscience of God, the knowing of all things. Christ knows all things. He says, I know you. I asked again, when did he know you? Bad question. I used time, when, to talk about Christ. But go ahead. Let's just go ahead. Time does not affect his knowing of all things. Time cannot affect his knowing of all things. Omniscience is unaffected by time. It is illogical, but not just illogical. It's impossible to place Christ's omniscience inside of time. Why? What's the first reason it's impossible to do it? How big is his omniscience? How big is time? What's bigger, infinity or time? Which one had a beginning? Which one is part of the created order? Which one is not created? That's why it is impossible to place Christ's omniscience inside of time. But let's do it anyway. I'll do it again. Cliffside Community Chapel doing the impossible every Sunday on the basis that it's permitted to break the law if you know that you're breaking the law and you're doing it on purpose. Try that in court. When was it that our existence was known by Christ? What day was it? What, what time of the day was it? Bad question, right? Well, here we go now to Psalm 139, 13 through 16. This is, these are incredible things that are in your Bible. This is absolutely incredible. I, I'm not doing them justice. I'm trying to. But I can't get it done. But when you recognize that whoever wrote this book was not overcome by that question. Somebody knew that question was coming. 
and answered it at a level that is absolutely astonishing. Here we are, verse 13, 139 Psalms. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I praise you. I will praise you for I am fearful, fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Holy mackerel, honey child. What does that mean? And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. That ties to Jeremiah 1.5. These two go together. I knew you before you were formed. So we're inside of time. So he knew us before we were what? Inside of time? We were not hidden. It may, that makes sense. Is it's impossible to conceal anything from omniscience and omnipresence. And there's a secrecy. There's a secret involved. What's the question? What is the secret? Obviously, the secret is not a secret from the one who is outside of time. Can you have a secret from somebody who is timeless and omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent? You can't have secrets. So those of you who think that God doesn't know what you're doing... He has a pretty good video surveillance system. He has recording devices. It's him. He promises something for us. What does he promise? That he'll reveal every one of our sins. So I'm going to find every one of you and stand next to you and laugh. And then when it's my turn, I'm making a run for it. You'll never find me. But every one of our sins will be revealed. In case you were wondering if you were getting away with anything, you're not. You're still saved, but he is going to play it all back. And it's going to be brutal. What you have thought of me as you've left this building, I'm going to know about it. Okay, I already know about it because I do have camera surveillance. It in, extends into the parking lot in case you were wondering. What is the secret? Again, it can't be a secret from the one who is outside of time. The secret has to be a secret, has to be a mystery that man and the angels confront. Has the secret been solved? Has anybody figured out what the secret is? Does, it e does anyone even know what the secret concerns? What the subject of the secret is? To solve a mystery, it's advisable to know of the mystery. First, you've got to know there's a secret to figure out what the secret is. You've got to know there's a mystery before you can solve the mystery. Wish we had time to do this today. But we don't. We're busy. Is there such a thing as countless people? Countless is the same thing as what? Infinite. There's no such thing as infinite people. That's hyperbola. Does anybody ever count people in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Who did it? David. Didn't go well. Why not? Why is it? See, the guy that wrote this has no idea that counting people, it can be a really bad thing. If he did know... That would be cool, and he would have never written that question. Why was it bad for David to count people? 
Is it really true that the ticket to hell is one way? Is that true? Why? Catholic Church does not believe that it's one way. They believe there's a place that is an intermediate place that you can go to. The Mormons believe you can you end up in hell, we can pray you back out of it. They do. Don't they? Yes, they do. And if you want them to pray because you're not as good at praying as they are, it's just a small amount of money. Hundred thousand or so, I think, is that you can get your get your neighbor out of there. I don't know, I'm kidding about the hundred thousand, but I've seen their building. Somebody's making money there. Gosh, I'm going to get banned from Facebook. That'll mean you 50 or 60 people will have to listen to me. Uh, you'll have to come here. Yeah, nobody will do that. That's, yeah, that's got to be a joke. Is it a one-way ticket to hell? It's irrevocable? Is it irrevocable? Yes, it is. Why is that? Why aren't these people that believe otherwise? What's wrong with their position? Wish we had time for that too. Okay, that was fun. As I define fun. So now we start the lecture. We're in Revelation 2 through 3. Actually, 1 through 3. Revelation 4, 1. That's where we are. Not necessarily in any order here today. Revelation 1, 3. Let me read read that. I think it is obvious, and maybe uh, you don't think so, but I think it is obvious that our country is descending into madness and the entire world is descending into madness and we are seeing the opposite be the truth. In other words, that which is true is now false and the absolute opposite of that is now true in our society. That kind of incoherence produces more incoherence. There's a quote out there that says that if I can make you repeat something that you know is a lie, I I destroy your morality by doing so, your probity. That's exactly what's happening to this country and to the world. There are people in our country at high levels that are lying constantly. They know they're lying. They're trying to make you repeat the lie. If you repeat the lie, that's one advantage for them. But if you know you're repeating a lie, then you are destroying your own morality, which is exactly what the Bible says you will do. That is madness. And so these kinds of things are happening in our lifetime. Our country is going insane. And it is obvious to me. Okay. Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Now this is Jesus Christ. And he says, again, he is timeless. He says that. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So he calls what's coming after this statement a prophecy. And the first obvious question is what prophecy, Jesus Christ, the timeless one, which, what one is he referring to? What is prophecy? Because he's saying this is a prophecy. Whatever it is, this prophecy is a prophecy. So what is the prophecy? Prophecy at its essence, at its foundation, is a revealed truth 
that is outside of time in the sense that it is a future era, a time to come. It would it makes sense, right? It would seem appropriate that the one who has all of time resides, all of time resides in him would be pretty good, would be expert in events of the future since he sees all time as one. And this specificity In this specific case, a future, this one is the end times, and it is a time, it is the time of Israel's troubles, of Jacob's troubles. So Christ says, blessed is he who reads and hears this prophecy. Not all prophecy, this prophecy. He's very specific. He makes it singular. This one, this prophecy. So it would be a good idea to be blessed, I think. Because if you're blessed, what do you get? That's right, lots of money and a new Mercedes. And the song that goes with it. You have to be old to know the song, in case you wonder. How, let me say this, many learned, intelligent scholars, authors of many books will and have taken issue with my conclusion as to the meaning of this prophecy. I, your humble, lowly railroad worker, do not intimidate the theological academics as much as I try. I can get under their skin a bit. But it doesn't change their opinion of me. With that said, it is my opinion that this prophecy is that which immediately is subsequent. That which immediately follows the words, this prophecy. That just makes sense to me. Call me simple. They of many letters and many books do not think that makes any sense. And they heap scorn. I, being a man of dirt and grease and nail guns, ask another simple, tiny questions in a squeaky voice. Not really, I don't, I don't have a squeaky voice. If the seven churches, which comes after he says this prophecy, if the seven churches are restricted only to the time that is current when he says it, is it a prophecy? Does that make any sense to you? Can I say, yesterday I prophesied that I'll paint the trim in the balcony of my house. Is that a prophecy? Or I'll say, right now I'm going to move that chair. Is that a prophecy? No, a prophecy is, is that I will catch this without looking at it. Oops. Something that's going to be future. If it's not in the future, it's not a prophecy. I think that is self-explanatory and actually elementary. Unfortunately, no one agrees. Okay, very few agree. They have an agenda for not agreeing. I want to know what the agenda is. The agenda for not agreeing is always the same in the book of Revelation. They do not want the book of Revelation to be about Israel. They want the book of Revelation to be about the church. They want all of you, all of me, to go through the time of Jacob's trouble, even though we don't, we're not Jacob. They want us to be in the tribulation. It's called postmillennialism. 
Why do they want you to go through the tribulation? Because they think they're the, they're the nation of Israel. That's why. Why do they want to be the nation of Israel? Doesn't seem to be a valuable thing. You ever see what the Jews put on their bumper stickers? If we're the chosen ones, please choose somebody else. But they want it. Why? How is, how is it advantageous to be Israel? If the seven churches are restricted only to the time that is, uh, that is in the parameter of the giving of this prophecy, then what is the prophecy? If the prophecy is the seven churches and the seven angels, then it must be a future truth. Everyone say, duh. I submit that that's the correct interpretation, that this is a future truth. Christ, who is God, who is timeless, is telling us through John that these seven churches are a prophecy of an age, of a time that is near. Prophecies, in my opinion, are restricted. They are only, they are intrinsically linked to future time. If they're not, they're not prophecies. Everyone say, ah, duh. It therefore cannot be constrained, this prophecy, to the current time of these churches in Asia Minor. Would the timeless one, he's timeless, call it a prophecy if it were so? That it only meant the time of these churches in Asia Minor at the time he said it. Would the one who says, who, who, who is the orig- or originator of prophecy, the one who dispenses prophecy, who causes prophecy, would he call it a prophecy if it was only about the time in which he was currently talking? I submit no. Therefore, Revelation 4.1, which is immediate, which is subsequent, that follows the prophecies of the seven churches and the seven angels, has to be taken in that sense. And we should read it that way. So let's read that one more time. So after he says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, he says this. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits. Oh, I'm sorry. I read one, chapter one, not four. Here we go. I'm reading four one. Let me explain why. After Christ is done with these prophecies from... Uh, from chapter 2 all the way to 322, after Christ is done with these prophecies, this is what he says next. So I'm going to read 322 here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Christ has now given us two chapters, if you will, of what he calls prophecy about seven churches. This is what he says next. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to these to the churches. And after these things I looked, and behold, behold, everyone jump up and down and scream, behold. Something amazing is going to be said next. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Behold, a door. We have a door. That's unbelievable. Open in heaven. 
How long do you think it'd take you to solve what that means? It is unbelievable. This is what Christ says and says after he finishes the seven churches prophecy. After these things I looked and behold a door opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard like a trumpet speaking with me saying come up here I will show you things which must take place after this. He's going to show him what? Prophecies. That must take place after this prophecy. So I have this prophecy and then I have the things that come after this prophecy. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold. Revelation 3.22 are spoken by Jesus Christ who is described at Revelation 1.12 through 20, Daniel 7.9 and Daniel 10.6 through 9 as bright, blinding, hot, white light. That's how he's described. This is Jesus Christ as he is truly revealed. Unfortunately, the seeky sensitive churches that predominate, that are overwhelming us right now, they're overwhelming us, do not present Jesus Christ as he is described in the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel. They don't do it. Obvious question. Why don't they do it? They don't wish to present the true image of Jesus Christ that is given to us. Read it. Read again. Revelation 1, 12 through 20. Daniel 10, 6 through 9. Daniel 7, 9. Why do you suppose that is that they don't present the true image of Jesus Christ? As he is. You'd think that some sort of artist, and I have seen artist renditions of those verses, and they're amazing. I haven't seen one that I think is absolutely accurate, but I've seen some that are trying really hard. I, I noticed the hands. Yes, ma'am. But you'd think some artist would just be throwing this out there everywhere. And it would be prominent in every church. We'd have a big picture of Christ over here. As he is described in Revelation 1, 12 through 20. How many of you never raise your hands here? How many of you don't even raise your feet here? How many of you have a picture of Christ as he is described in the book of Revelation? None. I know none. There's some money to be made here. My gosh, what's going on that? Make a note. Start selling actual pictures that, that portray Christ as he is described. you think that would be a good idea. But they don't do it. Why not? This is the Christ we're going to see. When you get to the throne, it might be handy to know what he looks like. No one does it. Okay, one guy. I got it on a video about 20 years ago, a picture of Christ as he is in the book of Revelation, which means as he is now. That is a mistake. I used a time reference to the timeless Christ. I did it on purpose. I broke the law purposely, and therefore I'm innocent. All I need is presidential. Never mind. The justice system in this country is a wreck. My goodness. Anyway, Christ ends his prophecy, the this prophecy, with he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus says this phrase 
seven times. That's probably coincidental and happenstance. It's just probably not related to the seven churches and the seven angels of the seven churches. It probably means nothing that seven times he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Churches. Now, I know the word is ecclesiastical, but we we call it churches because we're English people. Probably a good idea to take some time on this seven times repeated proclamation from God himself. If we get to figure out why he says this seven times with seven churches and seven angels over those seven churches, that might be helpful. I wish we could do it, but we can't today. Today is the door open in heaven. This door opens. Seven times Christ says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then next he said, a door opens in heaven and a definitely, definitely, definitely. One of us in this group is getting older by the minute. A definitely loud voice speaks. You're going to see thunderings in the Bible all the time. Lightning and thunderings. You have to teach yourself when the Bible says thunderings, it is voices. It is languages. And I'll prove it to you in the future. It's in the book of Revelation. makes it obvious that it is voices. And the Jews know it's voices. The church has no idea. The Jews know it's languages. They put it to Acts 2. They got it. Not us. We be idiots. So this deafeningly loud voice speaks. Come up here. I will show you these things which take place after. What's the word? I'll read it. This. Oh, my. This. I'm obviously matching the this to the this. Does this make sense? You realize how much trouble you are in if it did. Again, phone number for therapist. The this that I say is the this is the this of Revelation 1.3. This prophecy after this. The open door in heaven is a behold. Behold, a door opens in heaven. That's incredible. Why is this the behold? What is the behold? The behold is a signal to us that something of great significance has been revealed. And what's been revealed is that there's a door. Is it the door that's significant? The fact that the door is there? Or is it the fact that the door is open and not closed? Does the door open and close? Does heaven have a door? Obviously it has a door. Why? What's the purpose of the door? For whom did the door open? If there is a door, who goes through the door? If one assumes the door has been closed, why was it now opened? Who opened the door? Who can open the door? Can anybody open the door? Who goes through the door? i ask that again. That's open. How do we begin to decipher, unravel the mystery of the door in heaven? I know it's a mystery because it says so. Behold. Once again, Pinky, we solve it the same way we do it all the time. What do we do? Got to solve the door. Say that. Oh, you're way ahead of me. Stop already. 
That's on page 14. I'm way back here on page 13. Well, I'm at the bottom, but you're dead right. Felicia gets an A. Have you been here for over 20 years, have you? Okay. So don't be intimidated, you people, on the Internet. It's not like she just walked in the door. That was opened by me. Okay. What do we got to do? We got to find all the other doors. We got to find the open doors, the shut doors, all doors. How long will that take? How many doors do you think there are in the Bible? 260. I have a book that tells me these kinds of things. I didn't count them. But somebody did. Can you imagine that? Just take doors. He goes through the whole Bible and counts 260, and he compares the words to find out if there are different words for different doors. And he numbers all the words. It's unbelievable. How good of a Bible student was that guy? Who's uh, extraordinary. John 10.9, as Felicia points out, Christ declares himself to be the door. I am the door, he says. John wrote Revelation. John also wrote John through the Holy Spirit. Do you think he knew that when he wrote this that he had also wrote, written about doors? Oh, I bet he did. Maybe he forgot. Old people forget. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, 7. I am the door of the sheep. John 10, 3. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his name and he calls his own sheep by name. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's Zechariah 11, 4 through 17, and Zechariah 13, 7. That is the, that solves the mystery of why Judas threw the 30 pieces. That is the prophecy, if you will. That is the, the, the good shepherd and the idol, I-D-O-L, shepherd. Not L-E, as most people think. I-D-O-L. The evil shepherd and the good shepherd is in Zechariah 11 through 13. Jesus says he has the keys, the keys of David in Revelation 7. I don't have time to read it. He is the one who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So who opens the door here? It's a behold. All of these and others are relevant to the door open in heaven. Obviously, the, the one where you're going to end up with is at Genesis 7:16. What door is there? That is the door that is shut by who? Shut by Christ. That's the Ark of Noah, the door to the Ark of Noah. And it fits into this mystery of the door. It's a matter now of just assembling all the pieces. And in my opinion, the solution ends up being in Revelation 19, 11. So let me read that. Now, I saw heaven open. Oh, isn't that interesting? So in Revelation 4.1, I have a door that opens. And in Revelation 19.11, I have a door opened. Now, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew. Except himself, because he's omniscient. I should keep reading that, huh? 
He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses through the what? Through the door. How'd they get there? Who are they? Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will smite them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. <coughs> Excuse me. Struggling again here. The door of Revelation 4.1 opens in 4.1 and also opens again in Revelation 19.11. I have people go through the door in 4.1. I have people go through the door in Revelation 19.11. They look different. They went in as sheep that came out like this. Where'd they get all those horses? How many horses are there? You know, if you got a horse and you're riding a horse, what do you got to have? That's right, you got to have a dog. Absolutely got to have it. Where do you get all these things? New ones? God make new ones? Or does he use this existence that he gave in the first place? I think it's obvious. It is not coincidental or happenstance, to reuse that phrase, that uh, Revelation 4.1 and Revelation 19.11 are in these positions, you see, because the church is the bride of Christ. The church in its entirety is inside of Revelation 1 through 3. That is all the only place the church is so far, all the way to chapter 19. The church is in 1 through 3, actually 2 through 3. And then the door opens in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Revelation 4.1. And the doorkeeper, the one who has the keys, the one who is the door himself, he opens the door at Revelation 4.1, the behold. And the church disappears from the text of the book of Revelation all the way to Revelation 19.11 when the door opens again. So who is talked about between Revelation 4.1 and Revelation 19.11? Not the church. The church is not mentioned. Church, 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 church. Revelation 4.1, nothing. All the way to, actually to be perfectly uh, fine, 19.14, Revelation. Then the church shows up again. Church disappears from the text until the door opens again. 19, chapter 19, verse 14. So who's talked about in between all of that? Only Israel. There is no church spoken of. I know that's going to make the Pope mad. He thinks he's Israel. He's wrong. Now, he may not agree with me. He doesn't care about my opinion. But he's wrong. And I think the Bible makes it very clear. Only Israel is in the book of Revelation from Revelation 4.1, actually 4.2, to 19.10. 
Only Israel is spoken of, the wife of YHVH, between the doors. Between the doors is the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the nation of Israel's tribulation, the great tribulation that coincidentally happens to last seven years. The come up here is not for Israel. Knowing the distinctions, the differences between Israel and the church, the bride and the wife is critical. Frankly, it is lost. And this time, lost. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think the church is completely a total wreck. What's the word I would use? The church today is vomit. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't use that. Christ used that in this prophecy that he gave us. So I should expect it to be a mess. I am not surprised. And that is what we call what? A wonderful thing. Because we have got to get out of here. We have a ticket. Do we have a one-way ticket? Can that ticket be revoked? We have two tickets, neither one a round trip, in the sense that neither one can be revoked. So which tickets you got? See, this applicational lecture just slipped it right in there. Got to have a ticket. You're going to have a ticket. You get to have an impact on that ticket. Whoever goes through my door is saved. That's what he says. I would recommend you pick door number one.